You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, I want you to listen, to us a son is given. Right here in these words represents the greatest gift ever given in the history of the world. In these words right here in the first part of verse 6, this is the astounding glory of the incarnation. What is so amazing, six to seven hundred years before this gift of Jesus Christ is officially given, Isaiah is led by the Holy Spirit to write down the fact that the gift is coming and to describe and detail what this gift will be like. What the prophet Isaiah does for us in this one verse is he unwraps this gift for us to see for those of us who have eyes of faith. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, what Isaiah does, he shows the beauty of this gift, the power of this gift, the magnitude of this gift, and he does it all in one verse in Isaiah chapter 9, at least in the verse that we are going to exposit today. In this one verse, we will see so much that namely this, there is no greater gift. And that's our sermon title today, the incarnation. When it comes to the incarnation, there is no greater gift. So as this gift is unwrapped for us, what do we discover? We discover, yes, the greatest gift ever is what it is, but now we ask why. Why is the incarnation the greatest gift ever? Here's the first reason, because it's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. Now, I don't just mean it's a gift from God. God's Word tells us today this is literally the gift of God. For to us a child is born. Notice, uh, to us a son is given. Can you see the difference there? Can you see the difference? A child is born, but the gift is supremely and ultimately in the son that is given. There's repetition here on purpose. The child is born, the son is giving. At first glance, you might think it's the same thing. It's not. The child, again, not ultimately the gift. Rather, it's who the child is that is the gift. This is the greatest gift ever. The Son that is given. The Son of God revealed in Jesus Christ the Lord. The glory of God revealed in grace and truth on earth through the incarnation, the birth of Christ, the Christmas story. Notice this gift is not just from God. This gift is is God, the Son of God. Notice too in this one verse, in this one phrase, notice again the person of Christ, one person, two natures, the hypostatic union as we have been learning as well. Notice a child has been born, fully man. A son, the Son of God has been given, fully God. The Bible going out of its way over and over and over again to reveal to us the beauty, the majesty, in some ways the mystery of the reality that Jesus Christ being one person but two natures, fully man yet fully God. This is why we read the Christmas narrative with such careful attention. This is why if you and I are disciplined and our hearts are in the right place and instead of being so busy with the chaos of the season, we find ourselves sitting and pondering, and thinking, and treasuring about these truths, just like Mary did. We place ourselves in the characters involved in the Christmas narrative, and as we place ourselves alongside someone like Mary, as she pondered, as she treasured in her heart the reality of what she was hearing 
from Gabriel and others what she was seeing with her own eyes as the child was formed in her womb with the son that was given and came into this world. I mean, just put yourself in the shoes of Mary and at the different moments when she started to pick up what was happening, imagine like how hard was her heart pounding? How wide were her eyes opened? How much were the affections and the wonder of her mind and, and soul being gathered together as she started to put the pieces of the puzzle, the incarnation together upon her life? As she starts to do this, Mary is faced with a truth that will blow her mind. She begins to comprehend that the Son of God has been sent to earth. The Son of God, the ruler of the universe, listen, listen, has been placed in her womb. Ouch, that hurts my head. She has the Son of God growing inside of her. The Holy of Holies is temporarily residing in her womb. Think of it this way. She will give birth to the one who formed her in her mother's womb. Ouch. Awesome. That hurts your brain when you think about it long enough. The very person that allows her heart to beat, that allows her lungs to breathe, that allows her brain to work, that every cell in her body has been formed by the one that now resides within her womb, that she will soon give birth to the very Son of God. The child that is born, but the Son that is given. And that is why Isaiah, in Isaiah 7, verse 14, again, he prophesies, listen, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew's gospel explains in great detail as that verse is quoted, and Matthew is led to say, which means God with us. You see, this is why the moment you truly start to unwrap this gift at Christmas with faith, the first thing you see is God himself. You don't look at the manger and see a baby. Ultimately, you look at the manger and you see God. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. So, to unwrap this gift with faith, you see it is the greatest gift ever given. Why? For this reason, really, it's enough of a reason. It's the sole most important reason. It is literally the gift of of God himself. Let's expand on that a little bit further here on the screen. Think of the theology behind the incarnation to us a son is given. Let's unpack this together to help our minds think and hopefully result in worship and wonder. Through the incarnation, Jesus Christ, the uncreated creator, John 1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him. Nothing was made that was made not all made through him. The uncreated creator took on flesh. He had always been. He has always existed. He was not created. He is God. The uncreated creator took on flesh. The sustainer of all things. Hebrews 1. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. The son of God, Jesus Christ. The sustainer of everything across this universe subjected himself to come to earth under the care of Hebrew teenager teenage couple. The infinite God was clothed in finite humanity. In the incarnation, this is what takes place. The eternal God stepped into time. The omnipresent 
one entered into a womb. There's more. The omnipotent allowed himself to know weariness, to become a man, to be subject to all that we would go through and temptation and fatigue and suffering. The omnipotent one. The perfectly blessed. you got to imagine, before he came to earth, he is in pre-incarnate glory in perfect harmony with the Trinity. Ne- never anything and yet per- perfect blessing of every imagination we can possibly come up with. He allows himself, though, to come to earth and actually to be scorned by the ones he created. Isaiah 53 says he becomes a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, spit upon, mocked, ultimately killed. The infinitely rich, the owner of the entire universe. There's nothing he does not have or own. He becomes poor for us, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. He becomes poor for our sake. He dies on the cross for our sins. He gives up all of this willingly out of love for you and I. Infinitely rich became poor for us. The bread of life becomes hungry when he comes to earth. He's the very source of life itself. He's the, the one who provides for all things. He allows himself to hunger. Listen, the truth. Jesus says, John 14, mind the way, the truth, and the life. He is truth himself. He is the answer to every question every human being is ultimately asking. He becomes subject to people daring to accuse him falsely and condemn him as a criminal. Astounding. The incarnation, the humility, and finally, the author of life, Acts 3. The author of life, the one, again, who allows every single person here right now to exist in this moment. He dies. All of this is under the theology and the mind-blowing truth to us, a son. A son is given. This is the gift that we have received at Christmas. The greatest gift ever. It's literally a gift of God. Why is the incarnation the greatest gift ever? Well, number one is pretty much good enough. But let's, let's go on with our text here. Reason number two, because it's a gift of glory. Because it's a gift of glory. Look at verse six again from Isaiah chapter nine. It continues. To us the son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders. The government shall be upon his shoulder. What this means is this baby will be a king, but not just any king. He'll be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. In the first advent of Christmas, what does Jesus come to do? He comes to announce his kingdom. He comes to establish the entrance to his kingdom. So he comes to preach the good news, to preach the gospel, and ultimately to die for us, to provide an entranceway that the veil of the curtain is torn, the temple is no longer needed. Jesus Christ, in the first advent, announces the kingdom, establishes the entrance to the kingdom, But we know he will come again. He will come again this time in the second advent to fully establish his kingdom once and for all and to defeat all those who oppose his kingdom. The second advent, the first advent, Christmas, the second advent we wait for now with longing where all the promises will be completely established and fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the government 
shall be upon his shoulder. Now, we get easily impressed by literal strong men in our day. We marvel at human beings that are physically strong. We also marvel at human beings that are figuratively strong, people with great responsibility, people we look up to. But listen, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is so glorious and so powerful, he will carry the government, which is the authority of the entire world and the universe, upon his shoulder. All of it. The eternal government of the universe is upon the shoulder of this one to be born, the Son of God. Think of how much talk we have in our day about politics and governmental authorities right now. Bobby, Bobby, has there ever been a time where there's been more discussion about the current leaders of our day? And yet, what are they ultimately? They are a temporal human effort that have importance on some level, but when it relates to the Son of God, where the government will be upon His shoulders, they really are so insignificant to the realm of eternity. The Son of God carries with Him a government of glory. It's a government of eternal proportions. Every single baptism we see this weekend... As the baptisms are being testified to the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the government of Jesus Christ being exercised in our midst. Jesus Christ has come and taken over each life, declaring that he is now their king. He has literally taken them from death to life. He has literally caused them to become a new creation. He is now Lord. He has guaranteed their future. He has given them eternal life. There's only one who can exercise such a government. His name is Jesus Christ. You will not find that from any other government across this earth. Always, always remember that. Do not put your hope in man. Do not put your hope in man. They, he or she will let you down every single time. But the government that is on the shoulders of the Son of God will never, ever disappoint. He's humble in the moment, the way he goes around in quiet and so meek. But the day will come when he will return. And he will become riding on the clouds and on the white horse and he will fully establish the authority and the exercise of who he is and what the Bible says about who he is as well. This is the truth in Isaiah 9 verse 6. Often Isaiah 9 verse 6 is kind of like those ornaments we pull out once a year to decorate the tree. When Christmas is over, we put it back in the box and we hide it away for another 12 months. Don't do that with Isaiah 9 6. Bring this verse out every day. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. Because then you understand who's really ruling the earth. Who's the king of the universe? Who's the one who's in control? It's the child that is born, but the son that is given. Jesus Christ the Lord. Some of you are here right now, worried, frantic, scared, fearful, biting nails, pacing all the time. What's the world coming to? What will happen to my kids? How's this going to work out? And the government shall be upon his shoulder. That is when you start to see and understand by faith. There is nothing to fear in the truth and the reality and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the power of Christmas and all that it leads to. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. What a gift then to look in the manger and see this gift of glory but the humility, the humility he comes with. I promise that I'll have some Christmas hymns and songs each time we do this. So let's go to Silent Night here and just think of the gift of glory. Think of to us a son is given, the government on his shoulders. Silent Night, Holy Night, Son of God given, loves pure light. 
radiant beams from my holy face because God, God has arrived on earth with the dawn. It's amazing to me in so much Christmas scripture, incarnation scripture, the sun is rising, um, the dawn of redeeming grace, um, um, the thrill of the glorious morn. It's, it's the, the sun is coming up and all these uh, hymn writers are picking up on the scriptural theme that the light is shining in the darkness. With the dawn of redeeming grace, notice Jesus, Lord, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. He's in control of everything. But he comes as this little tiny baby. He comes as one who is so tender and gentle and helpless. It's it's staggering. And yet at the birth, as this child is held, he is Lord of the universe. Because the government shall be upon his shoulders. What a night of glory that must have been that first Christmas night. The glory continues in our text, the gift of glory. Look at verse 6 again. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Let's stop right there. And his name shall be called. Some of you have seen this, this picture before. This is a picture of me in my childhood. This is, this is me. This is my sister. This is taken from, um, this is 37 years ago. Wow, I'm feeling old right now. Christmas morning, I guess. I noticed the bears as big as I am. Hey, notice this Star Wars fighter or people like Star Wars? Look, X-Wing fighter right there, right? That's like in the original time. You see that? Amazing. Nothing's changed in 37 years, huh? Nothing's changed, right? I want you to notice too, though, apparently some of the presents my sister and I got, I realized my brother is two days away from being born here. He was born on the 27th. But notice these gifts that my sister and I got. Her name's Pam, so she got a t-shirt that said, Hi, I'm Pam. And my teacher, you can kind of see it here. You can say, hi, I'm Ro, but hi, I'm Robbie. So that's the teacher that I had. And so, and so parents looking for some gift ideas for your kids? There you go. Maybe, maybe that's an idea you can have. Probably not on our day, right? Probably not on our day. Don't want strangers knowing our names. But, um, <laughs> but um, this, this, is, this, is, this is what we got there. As, um, you know, I remember all the pictures. We had a family. It was pretty sweet and such sweet memories. But it's so interesting. You're walking around. Ultimately, all of us have a T-shirt on some level that says our name. Mine says, hi, I'm Robbie. Yours would say, hi, I'm, you fill in the blank. What about this? When the Lord of glory comes to earth, what, what name's on his t-shirt? Well, the Bible tells us right here in, in verse 6, doesn't it? So the son of glory is born. He comes with a t-shirt, and here's what his says. Hi, I'm wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And his name shall be called these incredible descriptions of the reality of who was about to be born. So let's break through. Let's sort of dissect these names of the son that is given, the one who has the government on his shoulders. Wonderful counselor really is wonder counselor. Sometimes uh, interpreters or translators separate those two, but they're best to go together. Wonder, wonderful counselor, supernatural counselor. So the Messiah that is to come will provide guidance in a way that has never been seen before. He will give light that will be unparalleled. He will provide wisdom that is almost incomprehensible. Anyone who takes his wisdom will be led to truth and light and love. Anyone who denies his wisdom will be thwarted in darkness, sin, and death. 
The wisdom, the guidance of Satan and the world leads to death. The wisdom of the wonder counselor, the wonderful counselor in Jesus Christ, leads to life. Guaranteed. There is no counsel you can receive that is like the counsel found in the one called wonderful counselor, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Question. What is your source of greatest counsel right now in your life? Be honest. Who are your greatest influences? Who are the people? What are the sources of information that guide you the most in this life? There's a lot of people who say, well, God is, and yet they don't talk to him. And they don't read his word. Therefore, they don't get his guidance. Just stop long enough. What's your greatest source of influence? Is it a friend? Like, are you listening to your friends as much as anyone else? Is your source of guidance and wisdom some kind of blog you're reading somewhere of some person who's not rooted in the Lord at all? Is your source of wisdom the news, ultimately? If it's anything other than Jesus Christ, that won't work out super great. There's only one wonderful counselor. And he was born in Christmas morn. And his name is Jesus Christ. He's also called this. He's called Mighty God. So again, my t-shirt says, Hi, I'm Robbie. Jesus' teacher says, Hi, I'm Mighty God. Wow. This is a beautiful declaration as to the deity of the Messiah. I mean, it's just, it's just, I mean, how clear is this? Anyone argues that the Lord Jesus Christ is called God and equated with God? Mighty God is pretty clear again. So God is about to be born through the incarnation, Christmas Day, in wisdom and in strength. He is called Mighty God because He is about to do what no other human being could ever do, namely live a perfect life, die for our sins, be raised from the dead. No one else can do that. God can. That's why God sent His Son. So he is called Mighty God. He's also called next Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. Why? He's everlasting. He's eternal. He has always been. He is called Father because he will rule in the pattern of the one who sent him. As Father, he comes to care. He comes to love. Jesus is born to help those who are helpless. It's amazing to me, one of the great reasons, we even heard this in the baptisms today, which were such a blessing to me, by the way. One of the great reasons people are not helped by Jesus is because they simply don't believe they need help. They are denying the help, the assistance, and the life transformation and eternal life itself from the everlasting Father. But the moment you recognize you are in desperate need of help because of the reality of your sin, that's the moment you run to the everlasting Father, the mighty God, the wonderful Counselor. And as you do that, it's the moment then that you are rescued, and we're going to let his last title be our third point as we transition to the Prince of Peace now. Why is the Incarnation the greatest gift ever? Because ultimately it's a gift of peace. There is no gift like this gift at Christmas time. There is no gift that comes close because it is the gift of peace. Jesus Christ here is called the Prince of Peace. At the center of this title is this. Jesus Christ will be the complete person who can alone, who can perfectly relate, listen, to God and man. 1 Timothy calls him the mediator, the man Christ Jesus. 
He gives us peace with God. Here's the question though. Why is peace needed? Why do we need to make peace with God? Because sin has made a separation between man and God. Look here for a second. Look here. Before sin, harmony with man and God. Harmony. But sin enters into the world and sin separates man from God. Because God demands rightly perfection. If he says who he is, he cannot dwell with sin. He cannot take anything less than perfection. That's why Revelation says there's not one ounce of sin or unrighteousness that will ever get into heaven, not one. So man is over here, God is here, and the chasm between is sin equaling death. What man does says, well, I'm going to try to get to God, so I'm going to run and jump because I'm a good person. But you'll never be good enough. You'll never be perfect. Man says, well, I'm going to try to do good deeds to make myself feel better about myself, but you'll never be good enough. You need to be perfect. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3 says, no one is righteous, no, not one. We all know today we are sinners. And therefore, because we are sinners and separated from God, we're here, God's here, sin and death is in the middle. We are not at peace with God. In fact, the Bible says that we are at enmity with God. God is not our friend. We are enemies of God. It's our fault. We are not at peace. That's a problem. That's a problem. We we can't do anything. People have tried. They make up religions. They do all sorts of things to try to get to God. It will never, ever work. We need someone to help us enter the Prince of Peace. Because as Jesus Christ comes, Jesus Christ comes and lives the only, only one who can live the perfect life. And as he lives the perfect life, he meets the demands of his father, perfection. And when he dies on the cross, all the sins of the world are then put upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And the father receives the payment for our sin, even though Jesus Christ did nothing wrong. And what happens then, Jesus is raised from the dead. That proves the Father accepted payment for our sin. And what that means then, at the moment you see Jesus Christ by faith, at the moment you believe he died for your sins as the Savior of the world, is the moment you understand the bridge to man and God is now through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's when you and I can then travel across over the chasm of sin and death and get to God perfection in heaven and glory, not because of anything we have done, but all because of the righteousness and the love, the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you receive forgiveness of sins by faith, the Lord God Almighty no longer sees your sin. He sees the righteousness of his Son in you because your sin has now been placed on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called the Great Exchange. This is why Jesus Christ came as the Prince of Peace. Think about it. No wonder then, on the first Christmas night, the angels pronounce, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Because the ultimate reason that Christ came, giving glory to the Father and to himself, that he would establish peace and righteousness and give favor upon mankind that they may be restored to the Father who is in heaven. This is the discipline then as we sing songs like Hark the Herald as we sang even today. Hark the Herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Why? Peace on earth. Peace, the prince of peace. The prince of peace and mercy mild. God, I... I love, I love this line. Love, discipline yourself this season. Discipline yourself. 
God and sinners reconciled. No, 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 no. God and sinners reconciled? God and sinners reconciled because of the Prince of Peace? What's the next verse? Of course it is. Joyful! Of course it's joyful. How could it be anything but joyful? Joyful because, wait, 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 my sin paid for? Jesus Christ has come to live that life perfectly and die and be raised from the dead? Praise the Lord, glory, how the hark the herald, listen to them singing, because peace, the Prince of Peace is here. All ye nations rise, joy the triumph of the skies, with angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. The greatest truth ever, all because the Prince of Peace, the incarnation is the greatest, it's the greatest gift ever. You know me that for me, Tov? But here's the reality. When it comes to the greatest gift ever. You know what many people can do with this gift? The gift of Christmas. Many people have seen this gift a lot. Many people can actually describe the gift for you. Many people will even attempt to tell others about some portion of this gift. Other people have looked at it and expected it. Some have sung about the gift. But the reality with the gift is you can see it, you can look at it, you can describe it, you can sing about it, But until you, by faith, actually receive the gift as your own, your life will never change. And I'm wondering if there's people here even now, on some form, in some way, you've heard about this gift. You can describe parts of this gift. You've possibly sung about this gift. You've read, you've even articulated portions of the gift. But the gift has always remained, ultimately, at a distance from you. Because never by faith have you actually looked upon it, turned from sin, embraced the forgiveness of your sins from Jesus Christ, and received the gift as your own, unwrapped it, and your life has been forever changed. You don't earn the gift. You receive the gift of grace by faith. Jesus Christ, I'm a sinner. You are my Savior Come and make my life new. Come and save me forever. I see the gift of Christmas, and I need the gift of Christmas, the life, the death, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest gift ever given, the gift of God, the gift of glory, and the gift of peace.